Discover the unbreakable bond between mother and child. In today's story, a mother shares how she transformed the brief 97 days of her son's life into a beacon of hope for many. Join us for this touching journey. Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week I bring you stories that inspire, educate, and give you hope. I want to thank my sponsor and podcast producer, The Motivated Mind Group. The bond between a mother and her child goes beyond the heart. It begins in the womb and lasts even beyond their last breath. My guest today is Stephanie Lewitley, whose brief 97 days with her son William left an enduring mark, not just in her, but in the lives of the countless parents she's since uplifted. Welcome to Stories of Hope, Stephanie. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm even more blessed that you came from Minnesota. Yeah, the cold tundra. It's, oh, it's, it's so warm good. up there today, though. Is that? Yeah. Now, I also understand that today marks mm. a significant day. Yeah. We're going to talk about baby William. Yes. What is today's uh, unique day? So today marks 97 days of his 97-day-long life. So um, at about 6.30 Minnesota time, 6.31, it will be longer that he's been gone than when he was here. So I understand that statement. Yeah. That 97 days is a very short time frame. It is. It's a whole lifetime, though. Tell me about (laughs) baby William. Yes. So my son William was born on March 25th, um, less than 12 hours after I got checked into the hospital and started um, the induction process. He was a week overdue. Um, he was born nine pounds, six ounces, um, pregnancy, labor, everything was, I don't want to say perfect, but it was all as expected. Um, and then at his 24 hour screening before we were going home the next morning, um, they did a test called CCHD testing. And basically it measures the oxygen level going into the heart and then the oxygen that comes out of the heart and should be within like one or 2%. And his was 14% different. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the blood going into his heart was very much so oxygenated. It was 100%. Going out was right about 86%. And they were like, oh, it might just be the machine. Not a big deal. Turns out the next morning at 10 a.m., um, he had uh, a cardio echo- echocardiogram done. And um, they found a heart defect, CHD, congenital heart defect. It was critical aortic stenosis with a bicuspid aortic valve. Basically what that means, reader digest version, is the aortic valve of your heart is connected to the left side of your heart. The left side of your heart is the main pump for the blood going into the rest of your organs. William's heart was pumping really, really hard. The left side of his heart was pumping really, really hard to get the blood out but his aor- his aortic valve was so the stenosis means like really tight and skinny um and so it wasn't it was kind of like a hose if you put your finger over a hose mm-hmm. the blood wasn't necessarily getting backed up but the left side of his heart was like really really trying to get it out and the bicuspid valve um is actually very common it's the most common um heart defect it's like two percent of the population have it my husband actually has it, and we found that out because of my son. Um, but yeah, to kind of go back to William, he was in the hospital his whole life. He had 
two cath procedures, which is um, surgery through your groin. So they didn't want to like crack open his chest right away. Um, And those procedures didn't fix the issue. And so he had to have what's called a Ross procedure, which is open heart. And they swap the valves. They replace um, oh my goodness. So that then the blood would be coming in slower and pumping out at an even pace? Doing what it is. Oh, what okay. it's supposed to be, what, what the majority of our hearts do. Okay. Um, so he had that Ross procedure done, and it was not ideal because he had it done at three weeks. Oh my goodness. And they said there was like a 40% chance that he wasn't going to make it out of surgery. Oh my he goodness. did. Okay. <laughs> and um, he was doing really, really well recovering. Um, and then two days later, the night before they were going to close his chest up, Uh, Because with babies, they don't close it up right away because they're so growing and they don't want to like constrict the heart after it's been assaulted, they say, um, after surgery. So they were going to close up his chest and they were like, you could be out of here in a week. That's good news. Really good news. Yeah. Yeah, We were super, super excited, really stoked about it. And um, he's already started his journey in life with so much. Yes. What was his spirit like? Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's a lot for a little one to come into. Yeah. Physically and emotionally. Yeah, 100%. I, so, I knew William the best. I take that. And (laughs) you should. Everywhere I go. starts with the mom. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, But I also had a lot of, like, his nurses take me aside, take my husband and I aside and be like, I've worked with a lot of babies, and this baby has the biggest personality we've ever seen. Wow. He was famous for his side eye. So anytime somebody would come up to his bed, he would like. Oh, so he'd be looking. Who's that? He knew. Oh, he was wow. like, he was either like, hey, what's up? Or he was like, what the hell are you doing? Because like, oh, he's been me. poked and prodded already <laughs> yes. so much. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, aside from like opinionated and like um, pers- big personality, he was strong. Like strong, strong. Like I said, he got through that surgery when it was like forty percent chance he wasn't going to make it. Okay. And that night before he was going to be closed up, he actually went into cardiac arrest. Oh my. Yes, and they had to do um, CPR on him for fifty-eight minutes. Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight minutes. minutes. That poor little chest of his. I know. I know. And he he did have his chest open, so it was a little. Le- I mean, it was still traumatic, of course, to his oh. body, but um, it was a little less like this and a little more like massaging if you imagine um it's still traumatic so traumatic uh but he made it through okay. they put him on um it's called ecmo it's lung and heart support it's life support a machine yes okay yep big machine um lots of tubes and basically that was doing the work for him um for oh gosh it was probably a week and a half before they switched his heart support to something else which we could and go it, into that, but yeah. And his spirit's still good. His spirit's still good. I mean, he was definitely tired, you could tell. He was Aww. very medicated. Um, but he, <laughs> he would like push through, they would call it. So he should be sedated at this point. And he would like wake up and be like, hey, what's up? And they're like, dude, you're supposed to be sleeping. Oh, no. So yeah, I mean, again, super strong. Really, he, I said he was like the Aries of all Aries. Mm. <laughs> Very strong-willed, um, knew what he wanted, and he would let you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, so we talked about the spirit of baby William. Yes. That's very traumatic on you too and dad. Yeah. Tell me more about how you felt. Both of you, actually. I can't go with just one. <laughs> Even though we know the bond begins yes. with mom first, and then you're going through that 
probably more so than dad because mm-hmm. you're right there. Yeah. Tell me yeah. about that emotional part for you. So at first it was really blurry, like any really traumatic experience. It's really, you're kind of just like going through the motions. It's fuzzy. You don't really know what's coming next. And we really didn't know what was coming next. We don't have any other children. So this was our first. And um, so we just kind of were going through the motions at first. And then I actually had to be admitted because I was preeclamptic postpartum three days after he was born. I was in the same hospital, but um, that was a whole thing on its own. So I was sleeping by myself. Um, I couldn't sleep in his room. Um, And that was probably the hardest emotionally on me because I almost refused to be admitted um, because I wanted to be at his bedside. Right, but that wouldn't have done any good for you either. Exactly, exactly. And it wouldn't have helped anybody in the situation. So um, that was probably the most emotional part for me, aside from obviously when he passed away. But my husband is... uh, like the best human in the world. That's going to make me cry. Um, it's okay. We have to be vulnerable for <laughs> people <true>. to relate. <laughs> because, you you know, you're talking about, we're talking about baby William. Yeah. We're talking about what you actually had to go through at the same time he's going through his own trauma. Yeah. But then there's dad. He's got both of you. Yes. That he has to, I don't like to use the phrase, be strong for. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I'm sure like he felt he us. did. Yeah. yeah. Um, he <laughs> is very even keeled. He's very, he doesn't get rattled by much. He's very um, welcoming, very kind, always has a joke to crack. Mm-hmm. And that did not waver. Um, oh. The nurses loved being in our room. <laughs> because he was being funny? Because he was being hilarious. Well, you know what? Sometimes they say that humor is what gets us oh, through our... 100%. Yes. That definitely got him through it. Um, so for us, it was a lot of um, communication, a lot of talking about especially when we started having to make decisions about uh, care for William, what what we were gonna do next, what we thought was like too far, what all of those things. Um, that was when, when we both kind of would break down and it was just the two of us. Um, and in a weird way, it was like the most connected we ever were mm-hmm. before that. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't changed since he's passed, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, so, f- I definitely was more of the outwardly emotional one. I was crying, I mean, (laughs) the drop of anything. Uh, And when you become a mom, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can relate to this, Mm -hmm. your identity shifts anyway. Absolutely. And so my identity was shifting, being his mom and feeling this like overwhelming, earth-shattering love and also having to figure out, okay, how do I be his mom when he's critically ill? How do I be his mom when uh, he's going into these surgeries? That's like, he's not going to survive. And then he does survive. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how there was a part of me that was like, uh, not, I'm not worthy, but like, how, why was I chosen to do this? And uh, I think now looking back at it and talking to other moms that kind of went through a similar situation, Uh, I've been through a lot of mental health issues before this and I truly believe that all of that stuff kind of led up to being William's mom Mm. and now getting to share his story like of course I'm emotional today of course today sucks but like the uh, the pride that I get to tell his story and like carry it around is like the best thing in the world 
And I'm glad you're actually sharing that so that other mothers and fathers can say, I'm not alone. I've got someone else that has been through something, maybe not the exact same thing, but something quite similar. Yeah. So I want to actually pull back to the, come back to the emotional part. Were you told throughout this whole process that there was a possibility you wasn't going to survive? Yes. Tell me more. And over and over. Because then he would go to surgery, then he would recover. Then they would, oh, you were going through an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, the whole time. And this baby (laughs) is still strong, spirited. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the emotion on this roller coaster that both of you had to endure. Yeah. So for me, what I've learned is I can speak for myself Mm -hmm. best in this situation. Um, There were several times in this emotional roller coaster where we would go down and I would go to William's bedside and I'd whisper to him like it's okay we'll be okay and uh, sorry <laughs> you make me cry Thanks. I haven't told very many people that <laughs> um, but I think that's what being a good mom is you know putting I want more than anything and will for the rest of my life you know Mm-hmm. for that to be different um but it wasn't and so watching him watching him go through surgery after surgery after surgery and cardiac arrest and um all of the other like pokes and prods and uh, it got to a point because he had so many ivs where they couldn't find another spot for an iv and so how is he going to get this medication how is he going to get that medication and I I just had this overwhelming feeling like I have to tell him like I have to tell him it's okay if you're ready you tell us whenever you're ready you tell us and um, that happened like four or five times uh, when it's just him and I in the room and uh, you know my husband and I talked Alex is my husband's name Alex and I talked about it a lot um, about where that line was how much we were going to put him through how much more we were going to put him through and we balance each other out very well with emotions. He is very logical. I'm very emotional. And it almost like flip-flopped because he was like, we have to give him a chance. And I'm like, babe, we have given him a chance. We've given him given him all of the chances, you know? Um, and so we would agree what the next step was. Okay, this next step that they're telling us, we'll do it. This next time they want to meet with us, I would agree. You know, I think it's good that we sit down and talk with them, see what they have to say. Um, and then when it came time, we knew, and I had told Alex a couple weeks before, like, I know how this ends Oh wow! (laughs) and as terrible as that is to say, and to say to the person, well, my second favorite person, we started saying that to each other. You're my second favorite person aside from William. Um, but to tell the person that I love, like the, the adult that I love the most that like, I already know, I already know the outcome. Um, that was probably like the last dip that we took and William was taking. Um, and I think my husband needed to hear it from the doctors, but I think walking away from that conversation with just the two of us going into talking about or talking with the doctors about the next steps, that was definitely the most emotionally like draining and it all started, you know, trickling down from there. He died two days later or one day later, 24 hours later, um, we had his funeral, then moving on from that and trying to figure out how to do life afterwards. But we, 
there was always this little piece of hope and we would remind each other that like we pinky promise at the end of every conversation no matter what happens him and I are going to be okay because we owe that to William at this point like he's done enough for us so we can't just like dissolve after this that would be ridiculous um so we would promise each other okay we're gonna we're gonna be okay and then we would look at each other and be like we're gonna go back in the doors we're gonna be we made it it was on purpose when we went into his room to make it light, to make it a place where the nurses could do their job and not have to worry about us like putting extra stuff on it. Um, and that helped us too. It definitely helped us kind of, um, we're in this crappy, really, really hard uphill battle situation every day, every moment. Sleeping was like really hard almost none yeah yeah it feels impossible in a hospital room but we did it and we would wake up and we just had this understanding that like we made the decision not just for William not just for the nurses but also for ourselves that we are going to we are going to live and be as light as we possibly can in the situation before we get into that I want you to share with us that last moment because Mm. I can relate. Yeah, it's one of my favorites and one of the most painful. We don't get to say goodbye. No. I got to say goodbye. Yeah, so did we. Um, for people who don't get to say goodbye. Yeah. What was that last whatever time frame you want mm. to recall for you and for your husband and for yeah. William? I just was writing about this the other day, actually. Um, we, the staff at that hospital, was amazing. And they gave us the option to lay with him. Um, He was in this warmer bassinet his whole life. And they were like, we're going to get him in a big bed if you want to. And if you guys want to lay with him, we would love love for you to have that time. And um, leading up to laying with him, we had his grandparents, um, minus my dad. Uh, We had two of his aunts, actually three of his aunts, two of his uncles, one of his uncles, my older brother baptized him. Um, oh, wow. Which was, I mean, beautiful. So beautiful. My mother-in-law had water from the River Jordan that she was gifted like 25 years ago that she stumbled across and was like, if you want, you can use it. And we're like, that's amazing. And my brother is ordained online. He's done a couple of weddings. Um, but he baptized him with all of us standing around. Um, I got to like stroke his head. I just watched the video the other day. Um, you know, very intimate that day. Everybody got their time to kind of kiss him, say goodbye. And then they left. We got in the big bed with William. And even though it was a big deal to move him, he had a lot of tubes and wires and all of the things. So we knew it was going to be taxing on him. We knew it wasn't going to last very long. Um, but they gave us about 30 minutes. Everybody left the room. Uh, I had his playlist on my phone playing and, um, we laid with him. We talked to him. We said goodbye in our own way. I I just got a tattoo. I wish this wasn't so tight. I could show you, but, um, (laughs) guess how much I love you is the book that I read to him over and over and over again. And I read him that book and, um, I gifted my husband the night before our wedding a compass on the inside cover. It says in my handwriting, it's engraved. It says, uh, so you can find me in every lifetime. Wow. And he put, my husband put that on his 
abdomen. And we laid there and cried, and then they came in. And we chose to extubate him. There was a couple of different ways we could have done, like removing supports. Um, but being intubated for pretty much his whole life, um, we heard over and over again how uncomfortable that was. And I was like, I would love for him to be as comfortable as possible. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he was very, very sedated. Um, he actually squeezed my finger a little bit right before. Mm. And the doctor who extubated him saw that. And I kind of made eye contact with her. And she was like, nope, we won't do it right this second. They gave him a little bit more sedation so that he was very, very comfortable, very much asleep. And they extubated him. And the song that was playing was Rise Up by Andrew Day. And uh, the doctor who extubated him under her breath said, rise up, little man. I don't think she knew that we could hear her. Um, And then he just fell asleep or he was asleep. But, you know, he just he stopped breathing after after about a minute, maybe a little bit less. And they had turned off all of that. There was no alarms or anything. They turned all of that off so that it wasn't like jarring to us. Right. More traumatic. Yes. And. Then we got about an hour afterwards laying with him. They unplugged him from everything, like cut the tubes and stuff. And we got to hold him. And uh, it was, um, I'm so sad for moms and parents that don't get to do that. Um, it's incredibly heartbreaking, <laughs> really traumatic. But um, there was to- actually, I think, a freedom. Yes, 100%. There's a freedom in that because that whole time Mm -hmm. he was hooked up to all these different things you couldn't hold him like a baby should be held when they first come into this life yes I couldn't pick him up I have a picture actually they had um (laughs) one of their doctors was taking pictures for us we had asked if somebody could do that and there's a picture of right after I picked him up and I put his cheek to my cheek and it's painful to look at but it's also like it's your last picture and your last memory finally got to pick him up right finally I tell people all the time take pictures because they're always like why you always take so many pictures well because that may be the last picture you have and it has captured a memory in time it can be painful but it can also be a comfort Mm -hmm. which you just expressed just now yeah Mm -hmm. and that's a part of it right Mm -hmm. that's that's being human is feeling the pain the picture yes it's going to carry pain because it was a very painful moment but also that's that's what being human is. Absolutely. That's to be to have the honor of loving somebody so much that it's so painful so, and to capture it, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that with yeah. us. What was the turning point mm-hmm. after that? Because yeah. now you have to go back to a different world that was mm-hmm. before he was around. A different world, I say, because you didn't know who he was prior to that. And now you know who he was and he's not coming home with you. Yes, 100%. Um, the first thing is that, uh, I shut the nursery door. (laughs) It was a wreck when we got home. I was like, just shut the door for right now. I just want to be with Alex. Um, the days leading up to the funeral, we were really lucky. We had a lot of family in town, um, that we were able to grieve with. Um, that night we had a bunch of family come over, which was fabulous. The memorial service was beautiful and amazing and there, it was standing room only there's mm. so many people there which meant so much to me and my husband and I actually went on a four-day trip we stopped in Cheyenne to see my family um and then drove to Colorado and we stayed in the mountains uh, with our two dogs and uh for three nights 
and we went on a hike and we just existed together we talked about whatever came up we cried we laughed we danced you know we did all of the things um that I think propelled us into the next chapter and I recommend that huge like if if the opportunity arises where you can just get away and be away from people we kind of like put our phones away we took pictures in the morning we definitely wanted to take pictures but um intentionally put our phones away and we're just together the two of us being present in the moment yes a lot of people don't do that and then when you're talking about the dancing and stuff I tell everybody all the time celebrate life you know you can celebrate a birthday you can celebrate every day that you're alive it doesn't have to be on the actual calendar day that you were born celebrate your achievements celebrate whatever it sounds like that's what you were doing even though even though Mm -hmm. your hearts were breaking yeah and they were missing something. You didn't get to have the full feeling yeah. long-term. You were still celebrating that you even had that opportunity. Yeah. I love that. 100%. And celebrating each other. Celebrating that like we we are still alive. We've survived. It felt like we weren't going to several <laughs> times. Um, but yeah, that was a conversation we had actually. Is like, well, we're alive now. He's not. But we are alive. We've made it through it. So, like, what are we going to do now? You talked about dancing. You talked about mm. photos. We've obviously gone through the journey of the emotions, yeah. all of them. In the story that you were sharing, you talked about a playlist. What is this playlist? <laughs> so, William died on a Wednesday. Tuesday morning, we met with his team and found out that that was what was going to happen. I immediately went to my phone and was like, we need a playlist for tomorrow. There's going to be people coming in saying goodbye to him. We're going to be laying with him. I don't want it to be silent. He, we always had music playing on the like little TV thing, whether it was like nursery rhymes or we played pink and my husband really likes whatever. So we played music all the time. And so I went and I started this playlist of songs that made me think of him. And music is a big part of my husband's life. It's always been a very big part of me. I was like a choir geek my whole life. And so it made sense that it was a part of William's life. And music does something where it like triggers. It touches your soul. It brings you right back. It does. Yes. So yeah, I had that playing all day. And now I write uh, on a blog called William's Playlist. (laughs) Is this a blog that we have um, access to? Yes. Yeah. Williamsplaylist.blog. Um, what do you talk Monday. about on the blog? So it's really triggered by each song. So it's either like a memory that's triggered by the song or, I mean, they're all memories, but, um, or like a feeling. Um, yesterday, the one that I posted is Vega by Ed Sheeran. And that is uh, basically, it's a song he wrote in response to finding out his wife had cancer when she was pregnant. And um, it just captured how I was feeling so perfectly when William he was about halfway through his life so about six six weeks in and I heard it for the first time and I was like this is perfect so that's what this week's was about the next one um there's one coming up that the song has nothing to do with like the lyrics of the song have nothing to do with William but all about a memory of the night of his funeral so it's all triggered by these songs that are on this playlist and I keep adding to the playlist of course as I hear songs but and you talk about the connection with music I can relate as a lot of people can but he didn't have a full life, I say full life past mm-hmm. 97 days where you got to see all the other things about him grow. Yeah. And um, there are a lot of people that would say, listen to the whispers, mm. look at look at the signs. You've 
explained how music touches you and how you remembered mm-hmm. him, even though he didn't even know what those songs were. Yeah. What, and people say, oh, there's a sign that he's here or mm-hmm. she's here. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything like that? A hundred percent. Share if you, uh, share one if you will, please. Yes. Um, butterflies. I saw you had a butterfly tattoo oh, on your mm-hmm, foot. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard the butterflies signify a, a lost child um, a long time ago before I was even married or in a relationship. But the night we got home from letting William go, Alex and I were sitting on the front step and a red admiral butterfly like floated down and landed like I don't know two feet in front of us on our uh, concrete sidewalk I was like that's weird I haven't seen a butterfly all year and uh, my husband was like yeah and we don't our front yard especially because we hadn't been home in three months was there was not flowers okay (laughs) that butterfly was not coming around grass and weeds (laughs) yes so it landed and I was like oh that's really sweet and then we went back to talking and then we, five minutes later, it's still sitting in the same spot. My husband's like, oh, I got to let the dogs out. you know. So we let the dogs out and the butterfly like flittered up and landed in the same exact spot. And it was there every single day. No. Every day leading up to his funeral. And it was <gasps> the same one because the right tip, um, the right wing tip was missing. And so it landed. And then we had like a little plaque on our front step that's now in the memorial garden we made for him. Um, that basically just says like, I'll be waiting for you whenever you're ready. And that butterfly landed on that plaque, uh, right before we left for Colorado. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And it's like a knowing, you know, uh, Glennon Doyle's calls it the, her knowing is like in your soul in the depths of your soul, you just know that it's, it's them. And you you do. Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. I like the way that you actually described it Mm -hmm. versus someone else who's had a child that that got to live a little bit longer mm. and they have had those connections. Yeah. As we mentioned early on, there's a bond and it begins mm. in the womb. Yeah. And here you had found something <laughs> similar but different. Yeah. Meaning the same thing. Yeah. And comforting your heart. Your journey and your blog, I also mm. understand that you're in the works of starting a nonprofit. Yes. What are you wanting to do with this nonprofit? I'm so glad you asked. Um, (laughs) I'm so excited about it. Um, The biggest thing, so William was famous for a side eye, but he was also famous um, because after all of his surgeries and stuff um, and all the tubes, heart babies specifically, um, they can't wear clothes and they can't be swaddled because there's a lot of things. So... um, his grandma Christy got him a robe before he was, well, maybe right after he was born. And I went home a couple weeks after he had had a surgery and I was like, man, I wish there was something he could wear because he looks cold. You know, nobody wants to lay there just like naked everywhere all the time, you know? So, um, I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to grab this. And actually I had my sister-in-law bring it to the hospital and the nurses immediately were like, this is an excellent idea. So in an infant robe, they picked him up, they slid it under him and he was able to kind of be swaddled, um, with like tying the rope and stuff. And he immediately was, you could tell he was more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so we really, really want to provide robes for heart babies. Um, to start with, it'll be babies. There'll be more after that, I'm sure. But, um, so providing robes for babies and also when 
your baby is sick. It's something that not very many people can understand. And you don't feel seen a lot of the time. You feel very like isolated, very alone, very, um, it's, it's a unique experience. And it's not because you're not looking around going, you should understand this. It's like, no, I get it. Like I would not understand this unless I was in this situation. So we want to help the parents or the family supporting these babies feel seen as well. And so we want to support them with some of the things that were really helpful for us. Um, I journaled every day. And I think that's really, really important. Even if you're not a writer, it's like, write it down so that in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whether your baby survives and goes on to live a full, happy, healthy life, or our situation where you get 97 days or less, at least you have that documented. You know every moment of their life. So a journal is going to be involved. Um, DoorDash was like... DoorDash. So important to us because we didn't, we were living in the hospital. Oh, okay. So we want to put the services that you need. Yeah. So just like little things like that. Convenient stuff. Yes. Because your time away is very limited. Yeah. If at all. Yes. And to help support them and make them feel seen with like a handwritten note. I'm like, I, if nothing else, if we just donate the robes, Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that there's a note with it that says, I see you and uh, I understand. And I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, just little simple things. And I don't like a care need anything back. Exactly. Love it. Exactly. Love just something it. to make them feel seen. So that's what we want to do. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say any more right now. No, no, don't. <laughs> no, we don't want. We don't want you to. Sh- but you will tell me when it's yes, official. Yes, one hundred percent. I will. Because I would love to share. We yes. would love to share that. Yeah, I love that. On this journey yeah. in sharing your story. What are you hoping to provide to other individuals that may walk the similar journey, not the same journey? Yeah. It's going to sound cliche, but I want, I want to spread hope. Mm. Um, William's 97 days was filled with hope. There were a lot of downs that we talked about earlier. A lot of um, where it felt like hope was gone or should be, you know, oh my gosh, there's a 40% chance he's not going to make it. And to have somebody else come to us, like we had um, at the hospital he was at in Minneapolis, uh, they have a service, child life specialist. They come in and kind of sit with you. There's They have a therapy dog, and I'm a huge dog person. And um, they, brought, they brought the dog in, and we would sit and chit-chat, and that brought me hope. As simple as somebody coming in and saying, again, I see you. I care. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure that we carry on um, the strength, the legacy of strength that William had. Uh, I want to make sure that we, it's the only way to keep him around now, unfortunately. I wish he was here physically, but to keep him around, but also the other people that are in the situation that... um, don't have somebody that makes them feel hopeful or somebody to walk in the room and be like, Hey, it's going to be okay. Or it's not going to be okay. And either way, you're going to wake up tomorrow. The sun's going to rise tomorrow. And, um, yeah, that's what I want to do. I really, really want to help other parents, families that are in this situation and people who are supporting those families. That's a big one too. So yeah, hope, hope and strength. Such a small word with such a big meaning and a big need, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you for being my guest and sharing your story. Making me cry because I can relate. But thank you so much. This inspiring story was brought to you by MMG, your global creative agency based right here in downtown Chandler.